0: you go ahead and open your bibles with me this morning to uh, New Testament to first Peter chapter 5. Uh, and if you're a guest just so you know what we're doing, we're in a series called Aliens. It's a study of this letter that the apostle Peter wrote to Christians in the early church telling them that because of their faith in Christ, because of their reverence for God and their desire to obey God, that they were going to be they were going to be misunderstood by by their culture and and sometimes viewed as a strange even alien people. And uh, He writes to them about how through faith in Jesus, God's grace changes us from the inside out, and how our lives display that change uh, every day. Uh, And when Peter wrote this letter, not only were Christians experiencing trials common to everyday life, but were also suffering religious persecution inflicted on them by the brutality of Nero, the emperor of Rome. Uh, And because of all that was happening to people, as we've seen through the letter, Peter makes suffering a, a major theme as he writes and last week we found him saying that when suffering happens to us as Christians in whatever way shape or form you know when life gets hard when living in a hostile culture gets chaotic and confusing when when our vision for ministry gets cloudy uh, he said the church needs trusted godly leaders to to count on for help for hope for direction and so in the first four verses of chapter 5 Peter writes about sort of the nature of leadership as it applies to uh, not just to those in official positions, but really to any Christian who finds him or, him or herself in a place of spiritual influence. And he uses the analogy of shepherding uh, to talk about it, pressing, pressing the point that, that God's flock needs good leaders, good shepherds. And today we're going to hear him say that the church also needs good sheep. Why? Because in verse eight of this chapter, he's going to inform us of an evil predator stalking us like a lion searching for someone to devour. In other words, there's a clear and present threat to our very survival. And uh, we will eventually get around to discussing that that threat. But today I want to look at what Peter says about being good sheep. Uh, And beginning in verse five, he says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Before we talk about this, let's pray. Our Father, I pray right now that you would, um, that you would be with us in a, in, a, in a powerful way by your spirit at work. And I, I pray, God, that you would remove distractions from our, from our minds, from our hearts, from this place that would keep us from hearing what is true. And so we ask uh, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us and then apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So you don't have to be a, a biblical scholar to pick up on Peter's main point here in the text that we just read, because in two short verses, he refers to humility three times, calling all of God's people to it. And it always feels a little odd for me to stand up here and talk about what it means to be humble, because really, who am I to talk about that? I'm not an expert on it. Uh, I have yet to write the book, Ray K. Humility How I Achieved It. Uh, we've been working on the cover, but still, we got to deal with the content. Uh, if and when I ever finish the book, it's not going to be a bestseller, because as the old adage goes, humility is a strange thing. The minute you think you've got it, you've lost it. And uh, and that's true. And so I don't want to imply in any way that I have figured this all out. Uh, I am not an authority on what it means to be humble. Neither was Peter, really. But at least Peter spent three years with Jesus. And so he got an up-close personal idea of what true humility looks like because Jesus lived it every day. In fact, humility is one of those concepts that uh, is much better understood when demonstrated than simply discussed because it's kind of hard to nail down a, a good comprehensive definition. Uh, Despite what some people think, humility is not about self-deprecation. Instead, humility recognizes and assumes that there are good things about us. There is value in who we are as human beings. And so sometimes humility comes from a place of strength, not weakness. It flows out of competence, self-assuredness, influence, uh, intellect, talent, success, Many times a humble person who may have legitimate reason to do so chooses not to brag or show off or flaunt his or her knowledge, abilities, or achievements. Uh, In many cases, the apparent lack of humility in a person is really just an attempt to cover up insecurity, fear, incompetence, and failure. It's an inappropriate attempt to counter low self-esteem. So again, it's really a hard thing to define. But I think, uh, from, at least from a Christian perspective, it's safe to say that uh, at, at, its, at its base definition, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness. And it requires a balanced understanding of both our value and our brokenness before him. In practical terms, you know, in, in terms of day-to-day life and relationships, humility means being less impressed with ourselves, more impressed with others. It's about building others up. Uh, rather than just building ourselves up. It's about putting others first. Uh, In his classic book, Mere Christianity, author and thinker C.S. Lewis put it this way, Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And he goes on, he talks about how it's no longer always noticing yourself and how you're doing and and how you're being treated, but Lewis calls it a a blessed self-forgetfulness. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be a helpful description. But we're here to decide and figure out what Peter has to say about humility, right? And, uh, and it's in- interesting to me that when writing Christians who were being persecuted and they were, so they were discouraged, they were, they were beaten down, they were suffering, it's interesting that Peter still felt it necessary to exhort them to be humble. And what that tells me is that pride has a way of sneaking into our, our lives and our relationships and our churches even in the worst of circumstances, Keep in mind, Peter started off the letter by affirming God's unmerited love for his people. How we're so we're valuable to him. You know, we're chosen, we're protected. Uh, and in Jesus, as God's children, we are graciously given an inheritance in heaven. One, Peter says, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And knowing that, in chapter 1, Peter says, knowing all that gives us great, great sense of joy and a sense of self-worth. But here in chapter 5, he wants to be sure that we strike a balance and not get arrogant, and so he says, be humble. But what does he mean by that, at least in this particular text? First, he means that humility is about submitting to authority. Remember, Peter just spoke to leaders in the church, telling them to be good shepherds, and talking about how they carry the responsibility of feeding, of protecting, leading, and caring for God's people, his flock, how they're to act humbly, following the example of Jesus, the chief shepherd. And now Peter says in verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And um, as we noted last week, the Greek term translated elder here literally means old man. But in the New Testament, it often it gets often applied figuratively to those in the church who have and who had an established record of um, moral integrity, faithfulness, goodness, wisdom, in other words, spiritual maturity. Uh, the Greek term younger literally means more new. So what is Peter saying? Here's my Reiki translation of it. Peter's saying, those of you who are younger, you know, more new in the faith, should submit, willingly yield to the authority of those who are spiritually mature, especially appointed leaders. Now think about this for a second, because Peter is really addressing a common example of, of lacking humility. Because let's be honest about it. You know, sometimes when we're young, we cop an inflated opinion of ourselves and think that we know more than those who are older. I mean, some children think they're smarter than their parents. Some rookies believe they're better than veterans. Newcomers presume to see things clearer than those who've been around a while. Our generation, my generation assumes that we're superior to all the previous generations. And in some cases, you know, some cases it might be true. Sometimes those who are younger and less experienced experience do know more than those who are older and more seasoned. But Peter is telling us that the Christian starting point for healthy and godly behavior is always humble submission. And this isn't the first time he's brought this up, right? Remember back in chapter 2 and 3, he said that submitting to authority is a good thing. It's a godly thing. Remember, he said, as citizens, you know, we're, we're to submit to willingly yield to governing authorities. As employees, we submit, our, we submit ourselves to our employers, even if they're unfair at times. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands, he says, in the same way, are to submit to their wives and sacrifice their desires for her welfare. And then overall, the supreme example of this kind of yielding, this, this humility is Jesus, who being in the very nature God made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being humbled, Humbling himself, really, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's the deal. I, mean, I realize this idea of submission, of you know, willingly yielding to, to authority of someone else, is, is a tough deal. It really is a tough thing for us because it runs against our nature. It runs counter to cultural American individualism. We want to be our own boss. We want to wield our own authority. We want to exert our will, call the shots, exercise sovereign independence. But Peter says no. Instead, we're to be like Jesus who humbly submitted to the will and authority of his father. And as Christians, we're to do the same And not only submitting to God, but to those he's placed in authority over us for our benefit. In short, Peter says, good sheep humbly submit to good shepherds. He goes on in verse 5 and says, humility means serving others. And, uh, you know, he certainly didn't want to give the impression that humility is only for those younger in faith. And so he writes this. He says, listen, he says, all of you, leaders and followers, sheep and shepherds, new in faith, mature in faith. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And Peter's idea of clothing yourselves is, represents action. It's like something we do every day, right? We get up, get dressed. In the same way Peter is saying, every day we're to clothe ourselves with humility. We're to drape ourselves with with love, kindness, generosity, and servanthood. In fact, it's this idea of serving that's particularly in view here because the Greek term we translate, clothe yourselves, literally means to tie on. And it was a word used in reference to work aprons that slaves would fasten around themselves Uh, when serving their master's. And when I I learned of that definition this week, the image that immediately came to mind was that of Jesus. Because remember, the night before his crucifixion, he celebrated the Passover with Peter and the rest of the disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, right? And in case you don't know this, everything in the the Passover celebration, especially the Passover meal and on the Passover table, everything is symbolic. You know, the wine is symbolic, the matzah is symbolic, the bitter herbs are symbolic, all of it is symbolic. And as leader of the Passover meal, tradition was for Jesus to ceremonially wash his hands from a bowl of water to show that he was prepared to lead the celebration. But instead, what did Jesus do? Do you remember? Uh, John was there. He recorded what happened. He said, Jesus got up from the table. He took the basin of water, put it on the floor. He tied on an apron and he got down and he washed his friend's dirty feet. The leader, the master became the servant do you see where this is going? The idea of clothing ourselves means that genuine humility is defined and demonstrated by serving others. It requires a willingness to get a little dirty. It means I don't know, it means changing diapers in the nursery. It means volunteering to provide meals for those in need. It means giving time to work with junior senior high students. It means mentoring under-resourced kids in our neighborhoods. It means rescuing young women from being sexually exploited in the streets of Kolkata, India, as well as in the back alleyways of DuPage County. It means driving, mowing, visiting, digging, teaching, giving, hosting, cleaning. It means thinking of something you don't need to do for someone, yet you go and do it anyway. I mean, try to think of a task that that is is below your perceived rank in society. Think of... Think of something that would really help somebody that no one else wants to do. And if our first response to that is, hey, man, that's not for me, or I'm too good for that, or I'm too sophisticated, or I'm too busy, or too talented, or too experienced, or too wealthy, or too smart, or too educated, or I've got better things to do with my time energy, and energy than to be somebody's slave. I mean, if those are our initial thoughts, then we have a problem, and it's a serious one. And it's called pride. Peter goes on, and in addition, he says humility means revering God. See, as Christians, we we submit to and serve others because, well, we know, as Peter puts it, we know that God opposes the proud but shows grace to the humble. And uh, the Greek term for opposes here is a military term used of an army poised for battle. And Peter uses it to to remind us that God is in direct conflict with and, and, in a sense, at war with those who are proud. Why? Why does God take such issue with pride and arrogance? Well, for one, it's because pride is at the core of all sin and rebellion. You know, the prowling lion searching for someone to devour, the enemy that Peter mentions in verse 8 of this chapter, pride was and remains his problem. Scripture teaches that the devil, also known as Satan or the adversary, was a highest-ranking angel in service to God. But this beautifully created creature, this being, became so enamored with itself that it arrogantly rebelled against its creator's authority. And its downfall came when it said, I will ascend and rise my throne above God. I will make myself like the Most High. I will be God. And then this once faithful servant became God's evil adversary. And then ever since, the enemy has been seeking to destroy all that is good and right and true. Pride was its downfall, and it's its ours as well, because since the dawn of creation, evil has been lying to us, trying to convince us that we can be our own God. I mean, do you guys, do you guys get the whole idea of sin? Because I think there's confusion about it, especially in our world when people talk about sin. Understand something. God doesn't tell us not to lie, to cheat, to steal, to murder, to commit adultery because he's got nothing better to do. He doesn't give us those kinds of instructions just to see how long it's going to take a bunch of knuckleheads like us to violate the commandments. That's not what it's about. God tells us not to do those things because they are incredibly destructive to our lives and to our relationships. And so sin can very simply be defined as as ignoring what God says is right and arrogantly doing the opposite of what God says is right and good and healthy and best for us as human beings. Do we really believe we know better than our Creator? Pride says we do. And that's why God opposes it, because it has marred his most precious creation, us, leading to destructive things. Ultimately, it turns human beings away from him, and it rests at the heart of every act of rebellion. God also opposes pride because it keeps us from him. The psalmist writes, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. You see, in order for our relationship with our Creator to be rightfully restored, because we've all ignored and violated what He says is right and good, we have to admit, we have to admit to our sinfulness, to our rebellion. And that's just a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. It requires humility to say, you know what, God, I I really don't know as much as you. And I have messed up. And I've violated the very things that you've said are good for me. I've been deceitful and it's ruined a relationship. I've been selfish. Uh, I've been I've been violent I've been hateful I've been promiscuous racist greedy envious the list goes on and on. And here's the deal if we refuse to to humble ourselves before God and and admit to that admit to our failures our arrogance gets us exactly what we deserve. Do you see how pride is a barrier really it is the barrier to God's grace. You see that? Think about it when when presented with the gospel when presented with the good news of Jesus You know, the message of Christianity that that God loves us and offers us forgiveness as a gift. Some people respond, hey, I'm a good enough person. I don't need that. I don't need forgiveness. Other people hear hear the message and they say, I can't accept it because I'm too bad of a person. I'm too good. I'm too bad. Both prideful responses. Both keeps us from God. But Peter was writing to Christians, Yeah. He was writing to those who had already acknowledged their sin and embraced the grace of God and Jesus, experienced forgiveness. So when it comes to the church, why is pride such an issue with God? I think it's because pride kills community, which is what God desires most for his church. In fact, Jesus' final prayer for his followers was that we would be, that we would be one, you know, and the world would know, would know who we are by our love and by our unity. Pride destroys that. In the Old Testament, the wisdom of Proverbs says, where there is strife, there is pride. Here's my Reiki translation of that. Pride negatively impacts not only our relationship to God, but our relationship with one another. And really, what better way for the enemy to destroy a church than through the arrogance of her own people? And I'll just tell you why, man, for me, it's just it's so ironic uh, and sad that, you know, in order to be a Christian, we have to admit to our sin and our rebellion. Right. But then once we do, we all of a sudden start viewing ourselves so much better than everybody else even one another. I knew a pastor years and years ago who used to say, too many Christians suffer spiritual BO. They stink of arrogance and are offensive to everyone around them. That's what he used to say. I guess that's one way to put it. You know, sometimes when we, we look at someone we consider arrogant, we say they have a big head, Right? Why do we say that? I'm pretty sure it has to do with the idea of having an inflated ego, having an inflated opinion of oneself. But let me suggest another reason why big head is a good way to describe pride. Take me, for example. Here is my normal self. Not a lot to work with. It's the best I got. Uh, Now here's my big head self. I I thought the first one was bad. This is really pretty bad. is, Is that ugly or what? That is weird. Uh... That is a disturbing and distorted image. But see, that's what pride does. It distorts. It inflates our view of ourselves. And it is one ugly, offensive, disturbing, isolating thing. And although we all struggle with it on some level and to some degree, look, nobody wants to hang around with a blatantly arrogant person with a big head and spiritual B.O. Pride kills relationships. It kills community. Arrogant people won't even admit they have arrogance. They can't see it. Arrogant people won't submit to anyone other than themselves. They won't serve anyone other than themselves. They can't get along with anyone other than themselves. And so they end up isolated. And when sheep get isolated, they're at risk of being attacked and devoured. And I'm telling you, the greatest threat to the church in America today, the greatest threat to this church is pride. And we're all susceptible to it. And the enemy will use it to incite division and isolation in order to kill the very thing God wants most among his people unity. And so each of us may need to take a look in the mirror to just see how big our heads are because God opposes the proud. And I I don't know, I for one don't want to be in opposition to God because he gives grace to the humble. Peter says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Translation, humility means trusting God. And one of the most well-known and quoted Proverbs in the Old Testament is Proverbs 16:18, says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And uh you know, I don't know if Peter had this proverb in mind when he when he wrote about um, us being lifted up, but it would make sense because I mean let's face it, sooner or later, a person's pride will bring them down. those who insist on uh, on believing that they're better than they are, or who demand being served rather than serve, who are dismissive toward God, who hoard who hoard their resources unwilling to share, who refuse to submit to anyone who relentlessly judges everyone, they will eventually be overcome by their own arrogant to self-destruction. I mean, wouldn't it be smarter for us to humble out before that happens? Don't wait for life to humble you. Don't provoke God to humble you. Humble yourself before him and before others. And then trust God, because Peter says what? He says, in due time, he will lift you up. You know what that phrase, in due time, tells me? It tells me that God doesn't have knee-jerk reactions to either good or evil. I mean, in this world of ours, it's not like like if you do evil, you immediately suffer consequences all the time. Sometimes evil goes seemingly unpunished. But eventually, evil will get what it deserves. But in the same way, God doesn't always immediately reward goodness. Do you know why? Because then we would be good just for what we could get. An act of humble service would be motivated by selfishness, not by the fact that it's just the good, loving, gracious thing to do for somebody. And so Peter says, "Listen, humble yourselves. It's the right, healthy, godly way to live. And maybe not immediately, but in due time. In due time, God will lift you up." Winston Churchill was a guy who perfected the art of clever put downs, and uh, he once des- described a political opponent as a modest little man who has good a good deal to be modest about. And I I read that quote this week, and, and I thought that last part describes me because I can't say that I'm humble or modest but I I certainly have a lot to be humble about because here's the truth. I'm an arrogant guy by nature who's simply trying to pursue humility by the grace of God. And sometimes my head gets big and I find myself judging others, resisting authority, dressing up for show rather than dressing down to serve. At times I trust in my own ability more than I trust in God's. And in those moments, the best thing I can do in those moments, the best thing any of us can do, all we can do is, is think of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Because when we look at the cross, it cuts us down to size. And and, and the inflated view that we have of ourselves and our own righteousness fades away in its shadow. The cross reminds us, it reminds us that we are so flawed, Jesus had to die for us. Yet we are so loved and valued, he was glad to do it. And that reality leads us to a deeper humility and a deeper confidence all at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. We can no longer feel superior to anyone. Yet, we know we have nothing to prove to anyone. The cross of Christ causes us not to think more or less of ourselves. Instead, it helps us think of ourselves less and others more. And that is the essence of true practical humility. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that each of us this morning would... Um, Gain a deeper understanding of who we are as human beings. How you love us and we're valuable to you. We are your creations. And yet we're flawed because uh, we have chosen rebellion. The things that you tell us that are right and good and healthy and best for us, we often ignore thinking that we know better. We choose the opposite and we suffer because of it. All of us do. All of us as human beings struggle with this thing called pride. And it is our downfall. And I pray this morning that we would all come to grips with that. And I pray that we would we would seek your forgiveness for that arrogance, for the way that we are arrogant toward you and toward each other. And we pray for true humility, even now as we remember Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.